Thank you for uh, being a part of things here at Freedom. For those of you who are joining us online, we realize you probably jumped in at a moment that didn't maybe feel real natural. The Lord's just been speaking and moving among us today. And uh, it's always good to just call time out on what was planned to get in on what He had planned. Um, It's just neat to see that God is doing a work among us and He is not done. We're, We're singing... I mean, good stuff's just been going on in this room this morning. As we're singing the song, my chains are gone, I've been set free, John walks over to me and said, Sally just had an opportunity, felt impressed to talk with Preston, and Preston just prayed and gave his heart and life to Jesus. Just came into the family of faith. That is, uh, that is awesome stuff. We sing and celebrate that together. Good, good stuff. Well, um... I'm going to give you at least part of what I've got on paper for today, and uh, we'll, we'll see where all we need to go today. We're in a series that started a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's called The Unseen War, and it's about the struggles that we have, all three different dimensions that the Scripture talks about. Struggles from within because of our flesh that doesn't want to honor the Lord and doesn't want to live like we should. And struggles on the outside because there's a world system around us that works against what God wants to do. And then struggles with the demonic, that there's an unseen enemy who works very hard to pull us away from God and to sow destruction in our lives and our families. And uh, last week I started in addressing the first of those three, what really is kind of a two-part message. We talk about how do I deal with me? How do I deal with the junk inside of me? And we talked about how when you really get down to it, when we talk about spiritual warfare, people immediately think, oh, we're going to talk about the devil and demons. And trust me, we'll get to that because there's some very important stuff we need to talk about there. But before you ever get there, understand it's almost pointless to talk about that Unless you address the most fundamental and biggest problem that we have, and that's us. We are so broken on the inside. And we can get rid of the devil and demons. That's actually, this may sound uh, a little out of line, but it's not. The easiest part in all of this is dealing with the devil and demons. When you understand spiritual warfare, you understand the authority that we have in Christ. Normally the easiest thing that you'll break is the demonic stuff. The hardest is what we're talking about. It's your old stinking flesh. It's that part of you that, that you think you've got under control and it just pops its head back up at the most unseemly times. And so that's what we started talking about last week. And if you weren't here last Sunday, you can go back and, and catch it online, but I'll give you the really short version. We've got a big problem. Paul spells it out in Romans 7. I know what I ought to do, but I don't do it. I know all these things that I shouldn't do, and I keep doing them. And I determine I'm not going to, and still I keep doing them. I've got a big problem. I've got a problem that's bigger than me, bigger than my ability to fix it. Who in the world is ever going to deliver me from this body of death? And when he finally gets to the end of the chapter, he answers his own question and says, Praise God, it's been done for me through Christ. Now, we just began to look toward the, the solution to the problem. Romans 7 and 8 stand in tandem. And if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to Romans 8. We're going to get to the good news portion this week. But it is important, in case you weren't here last week, that I back up and remind you of this. We talked about the first three things that have got to happen if we're going to begin to deal with the flesh in us that's so strong and that wars against what God wants to do. And first of all, you'll, you'll discover there is no victory apart from understanding more deeply our union with Christ and what we have in Him. Because you're not going to get there by willpower. It's going to be through your union with Christ. And secondly, it's helpful to 
to begin to understand and recognize the lies that we've believed that have enabled us to continue to live with dysfunction. Because we repeat behaviors again and again, the things that are really big and problematic, typically because we've believed some lie along the way. And if we can replace that with the truth, that's a big deal. But the third thing we talked about, and it's the one I want to make sure that you don't miss as we dive into today, is the fact that for those things that are abiding problems, I'm not talking about every time that you ever slip up and you let something come out of your mouth that you shouldn't have or you eat more than you shouldn't should have. If that's not an ongoing issue for you, you don't have to apply what I'm about to say to that. We've all got areas where we stumble here or there, and it doesn't mean there's big sins and little sins. But the truth of the matter is there are things you struggle with in a big way and things that you don't struggle with very often. And we're pretty in tune with that, aren't we? I mean, it, not that we want to do this this morning, and we're not going to, but if I put you on the spot and said, what are two or three things that you've struggled with for a very long time, you wouldn't have to sit there and go, hmm, let me think about that. The only reason we'd say that is to go, what could I share that wouldn't humiliate the daylights out of me, you know, that I wouldn't be embarrassed to death. We all know there are things that we struggle with big time, long term, and on those issues, if you want to get free, you're going to have to find some believer that you can confess to who's going to pray for you and help you move forward. It's part of what's so powerful about what Celebrate Recovery does. It's why AA and and the other programs still contain power in them. The the secular 12-step programs were designed originally around a biblical plan for recovery. And they still hold a large portion of that in in their plan. They, They just have removed one key piece, and that is Jesus. You take that piece out and you lose a lot of the power. You still, you don't lose all of it because you're still following a biblical plan for recovery. You just don't openly tell people to embrace Jesus as their higher power so that they tap into divine power for healing. Now, I'm, just, I'm not here to bash anything. I, I just want to point out there's real help to be found in those programs. But it's really interesting what the success rate is in secular 12-step programs and what it is in Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery uses the same 12 steps but with Jesus as the center of those things. Regardless of whether you do CR or a secular 12-step program, they all point you to this very basic biblical reality. If you want to get healed from the things that trouble you the most, you've got to get partnered with another flesh and blood human being. Because along the way, you have to make a confession to yourself, a confession to God, and a confession to another living person who is going to help you walk through this and get to a place of healing. And apart from doing that, you have about zero chance of getting there. It is a really, really rare thing that when you have an addictive issue or just a stronghold kind of issue, you're almost never going to beat it by willpower. You're not going to beat it by willpower, but you're almost never going to beat it on your own. You've got to partner up with somebody, and that's what the whole thing of sponsorship does. It's not the only way to do it. It's just one part of the plan that is a major part of getting there. James 5, we talked about it last week. We confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to a brother or sister for healing. So I just couldn't go into today's message without reminding you of that. You can apply everything I'm going to say today. And if you skip that piece for the biggest struggles in your life, you'll probably find yourself back on your face not too far down the road. We're just not immune to it. Men, you've got to find another man who can partner with you along the way and pray for you and support you and hold you accountable. Ladies, you got to find another lady, and you don't cross that line ever. There's no man in the room who needs a woman as his sponsor or accountability partner and vice versa. 
men with men, women with women. You try and cross that line and you'll get messed up in the process. So we have a way that we do this. Now, having said all of that, we're going to move to the good news chapter. It's interesting to note that somebody surveyed a bunch of uh, Bible scholars and Bible teachers and asked them a simple question. If you were going to be stranded on a desert island, marooned somewhere, and you could only have one chapter of the Bible to get you through, what chapter would you want? The overwhelming choice was Romans 8. The chapter we're going to just begin to scratch the surface of today. And if you're not familiar with this chapter, and maybe you're at a stale place in your quiet time or haven't been in the Word lately, I'll just challenge you. Take the next two weeks and just camp in Romans 8. Just read it again and again. Take little pieces of it and just meditate on it and ask God to to really apply it to your life. I can't think of a portion of the Bible that is more powerful to bring transformation to us than Romans 8. We said last week, Romans 7, in presenting, at the end of the chapter, in presenting the depth of our problem, sin that we cannot conquer, Paul does this little subtle thing where he says, I, me, my, and myself, in those last 12 verses, he said, says the first person pronoun 41 times. I want to do better, but I fail. I try this, but I can't do it. I, I, I. 41 times all about I, I, and I can't do it. Willpower. Handling it through just what I could muster is always failure. You move to chapter 8 and the eyes go out the window and they get replaced by the, the words Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ. Nineteen times as we move into chapter 8 is this incredible contrast. Here's what I can do. Fail, fail, fail. Here's what the Holy Spirit can do. Changed life. Transformation. Walking in the love and power of God. I wish... If we weren't going where we're going, I'd just camp in chapter 8 and we'd just do a whole series on it because it's good news from start to finish. And I told the leadership team as we were praying this morning, I don't know whether I'll get past point one, and that's okay. If all we do is point one and just get back in front of Jesus, we'll just do that if we have to. But the first thing that we'll see as we dive into chapter 8 is wonderful news. He's just told us the depth of the problem. Who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God. It's been done through Christ. So he opens chapter 8 by saying, Therefore, in light of how big a problem I have, and in light of God giving the answer in Jesus, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Church, say no condemnation. Shout it. One more time. There is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there any better news in all the world? Is there any better news in all of Scripture than to know for everything you've ever done, every screw up you've ever had, every wrong thought, everything you're ever going to do, there is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because you're trying harder. Because you're doing better? No way. For one reason. Because you're in Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation. No condemnation. That's enough just to go home on. We'll get back to it. There's no condemnation because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. 
He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mind, now the mindset of the flesh is death. He doesn't mean you walk around thinking about death all the time. He means when you're in a fleshly mode, you're thinking about things whose end result is just death and destruction. Death of your daily walk with God. Death of intimacy in your marriage. Death of all the good things that God's doing. It's just killing them off because of what our minds keep being drawn to. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Who wants life and peace? Sign me up. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. By the way, the, uh, the mindset of, of fix your life through willpower is the mindset of the flesh. Even though it's a mindset toward self-improvement, it's at odds with God and it doesn't honor God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Don't miss this. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. There are a lot of good, well-meaning Christians out there who will tell you and probably have told you, you may be saved, but what's missing in your life is you haven't gotten the Holy Spirit yet. They need to back up and read Romans 8. If you received the forgiveness of God and you got in the family of God, you got the Spirit of God. God is a person. And people don't give themselves out in parts. When I gave myself to Jackie in marriage, I didn't say this first year I'm going to give you my right arm and my right leg. And if that goes well, I'll give you some more. You either get the person or you don't. She got all of me for better or worse. Sometimes it's worse, but she got all of me. When you got Jesus, you got all of him. You got all of his spirit. Says if you didn't get him, you don't have anything. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be also glorified with him. Boy, there's a lot of good stuff in that, but I want to rewind to the very beginning of that. There are at least five important truths packed in these verses that become for us a pattern of truth that we've got to embrace and build into our heads and our lives if we're going to ever break the hold of just fleshly sins that will not let go in our lives. Five things that he points out here. We'll just see how many we get to today. The first one is the most important. The first truth is this, because of the cross, God is not angry at me for my failures. Now, Paul is getting at the heart of the problem 
that even though I know I have the Spirit in me, and He is teaching me to long for good stuff and and to pursue Christ, and and He's doing so much good in me, and yet I feel this thing warring against that. It's my flesh. It's so strong. And so now He's going to unpack for us how to break the hold of the flesh over us. And He begins in what seems on the surface to be a peculiar place. By declaring, not, here's a three-step thing. If you'll do this, and then do this, and then do that, bam! It'll kill the flesh, and you'll just suddenly be alive in Christ, and you'll live in victory. That is not what he says. He says, here's what you need to know. If you're going to overcome the depth of problem that Paul says, I've got, and you probably do too, it starts with understanding that God's not mad at you. Two questions immediately arise. First of all, are you sure about that? And secondly, what's that got to do with anything? Let's tackle both. I'll start with the second one. What does that have to do with anything? I'll tell you why that's the beginning point. The things that we do again and again that are so destructive in our own lives, that are so destructive for our relationship with God, and that wreak so much havoc in our relationships with the people that we care about the most... The ones that we repeat again and again are driven by pain. Pain is what drives our worst behavior. Count on it. People who run to unhealthy relationships again and again and again. People who are looking for a sexual fix all the time are trying to deal with pain. People who run to the bottle again and again and again. Got to drink every day. Or they don't drink every day, but they binge frequently. They're trying to numb pain. People who use pills all the time. They started out because their back hurt or their neck hurt. But now they live on them all the time. They're trying to numb pain. The stuff that we repeat again and again is driven by pain. And the deepest source of our pain is rooted in believing That we have let down the ones that matter the most to us. Guilt and shame are powerful sources of pain in our lives. And tragically for a large percentage of us, we got convinced by somebody somewhere back up the line that God is so disappointed with us. That because we've committed some particular egregious sins, that God is waiting for the day... That he gets to exact his justice on us. And ooh, is there evermore a trip to the woodshed waiting for you. Because you know God. He is a righteous judge. And he would never let sin like yours go unpunished. And so we, we come to the conclusion that there's this category of sins. And, and we, most of us decide that we've committed one or more of the really bad ones. And God's been waiting for the day that he's going to get us back because ultimately he's so disappointed. He's so mad that a day of justice is coming. And, and anytime we see something bad coming, we're going, I know it. I deserved it. I knew it was coming. God's been waiting for the day that he would get me. And it's finally come. Lies from the pits of hell. That is not the hand of God. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now what? What does no condemnation mean? It means God is not mad. God is not looking for a chance to punish you. God has said the price has been paid in full. It would be wrong of me now to punish you because I've already declared that the debt is paid in full. 
You ever stop to think about that? If God punishes you after a sin has been forgiven, he's being cruel. Bet nobody ever told you that before. You got to go home and think about that, don't you? If God punished after he declared forgiveness, that would be injustice. Yeah, we don't even think like that. You let that sink in and it's liberating to realize God didn't just forgive me. He got over it. Because he poured out all of his wrath at the cross. The crime has been paid for in full. There is no double jeopardy with God. He's not going to go and double punish for the same crime. He's already poured out the death sentence on that. If he came back now, don't, don't miss the key piece. For those who are in union with Christ. None of this applies if you're not in union. You have to belong. You have to be a part of the forgiven family of God. Once you've asked for the forgiveness of God, trusted Jesus as your Lord, no condemnation. He's not mad. But somewhere back up the line, somebody scrambled our brains. They convinced us, God hates divorce. So we want you to also understand that means he must hate divorced people too. And we believed it. And everybody who's divorced feels like, yeah, I probably got some bad stuff coming. Because we know how much God hates those divorced people. No. Church people hate divorced people. God loves divorced people. It's just church people who hate them. Half the room's going, I'm not sure what you just clapped for. It's all the divorced people that are clapping, you know. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. It's... You finally come to the place, hopefully, of realizing God loves divorced people. God hates divorce because he hates to see his children hurt. He hates to see all the chaos that comes from that. His heart breaks for people who go through divorce. We just apply that same kind of garbage thinking to so many things. Yeah, God forgives a lot of stuff. But I had an abortion. That's murder. And the Bible says murderers don't get into heaven. So, I mean... I don't even know if I could belong to God. That's exactly what the devil wants you to think. We run into all these lists in the New Testament of people who do this, 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 and this are not in the kingdom. And we go, I've done three things on that list. I'll probably go to hell three times. You know, I'm, I'm triply fouled up. That's not what the New Testament's teaching. People who live in those things and who never seek to get right with God don't get in the kingdom. But every sin can be forgiven. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for every sin. God doesn't have special categories and say, Well, you guys only committed small sins, so I really like you. I'll claim you as sons and daughters. You guys, some pretty big ones here. I'll make you stepchildren in the family of God. And you are some dirty dogs over here. We may have a special place in heaven for you, but I will not visit it often. I mean, it's almost like we think that way, isn't it? You know? There's good, there's medium, and there's bad. And a lot of us think we belong to the bad category because of our sin. It doesn't matter what you have done. If you're in Christ, it's forgiven and there is no condemnation. Somehow that's got to sink from here to here. When I was a kid, I used to love to build models. I built all kinds of models, airplanes and ships and hung them from my ceiling. And I, I loved doing that. When I got a little bit older, I got to be a teenager, 
shifted from just building models that would sit on the shelf or hang from the ceiling and start building rockets. My older brother's an aerospace engineer, so he kind of, I followed his example. He was into building rockets that would fly, and so I, I followed his example. And we'd buy these kits, SD's rockets. Some of you probably did the same things when you were growing up. And when you got into the more advanced ones, it's really cool, and especially when you've got a brother who's an engineer, once he goes off to Auburn, we start building rockets that would go really crazy high and crazy fast. But um, it, it's interesting. You get these kits that don't look anything like a rocket. And you pour out all the contents, especially on the really advanced ones, and there's nothing in there that looks like a rocket. I mean, the closest you can get is a lot of times there would at least be a cardboard tube. But everything else is just sheets of, of wood and just all these things that look random that you look at it and go, that's not a rocket. That's not anything resembling a rocket. But there would be two things that would give you hope. There's a set of instructions on how to turn this into a rocket And there's a picture on the front of the finished product. Now, I've built a lot of rockets in my time. And I'll tell you, between ordering the kit and having a rocket, there's sometimes a really long process where it just looks like a bigger mess than it was when you first poured it out of the box. That there's just all this stuff because you're having to cut all these pieces away and sand things down. And it's just a great big mess. And were it not for those two things, that there's some instructions to tell you how to get from that to this, and also a picture of the finished product, there'd be times you just want to throw it all away and say, that's just a big mess. That'll never fly. That'll never be a rocket. But seeing the picture of the finished product would always keep you inspired to go, I want to see that fly. I want to see that built. I want to see that fly. And without fail, everything we ever set out to build got finished and it all flew. Even though along the way it looked like such a mess. I want to tell you that's a little bit of a picture of how our lives are. We're somewhere in process. You know, for those of us who've been Christians for a while, we've been out of the box for a pretty good spell. And it may look right now, while you're being whittled on and sanded and all this stuff being done, it may look like a bigger mess than it used to look. You may feel like a bigger mess. Because now you're aware of your sin. You're aware of what you should be doing. There's this awareness that sometimes makes you feel like, I feel worse than I did when I started out. But here's the thing I want to remind you of. God knows where you are. God understands where you are in the messiness of our lives. But he's always got his eyes on the finished product. And he's never looking at you going, I just don't know if they're ever going to get there. I am just sick to death of that Charlie Lemon. I look at Charlie's life and I'm just sick of Charlie and his scripts. God's never doing that because he's always looking at Charlie and he's always looking at the finished product and going, I see where you are, Charlie. I see what we're still working on, what we're still sanding off over here. But I see what it's going to be like when it's finished. It's going to look just like Jesus with your face on it. That's the finished product. And God's never wondering if he's going to get there. Now, we get frustrated because we're going, it's taken so long. I've been, a, I've been a Christian for 42 years. If you'd hang out with me, you'd probably be disappointed and say, I thought you made more progress in 42 years than what you've made, preacher. I know. Thank you. That deserved an amen, Antonia. I, I received that. But it's the truth. We get impatient with ourselves. And we probably think God is just sick to death of us at how slowly we're moving along. I want to tell you, he is the eternal God. That's the one thing he has in great abundance is time. We're looking at ourselves going, it's going to take a lifetime. And God goes, yeah, probably about that. That's what I estimated. In fact, that's exactly what I had in mind. And I've got approximately forever. 
to make sure that this gets done. God is not stressing, going, I just don't know if they're ever going to get there. Nope. He's going, yep, this is taking time. I knew it would take time. And I know what this is going to look like when it's all said and done. And I love it. And I love you. And here's the thing that just is mind-blowing. God loves the process. God actually loves being in the down and dirty of having to cut and sand and shape and discard stuff. When we're going, this is so messy. Here I am at church on Sunday morning wanting to be close to Jesus. And I don't feel close to Jesus because I've blown it so many times this week. My mouth has gone off. My temper has gone off. my, My passions have gone places that they shouldn't have gone. I feel so far from God. I don't feel like I should even be allowed in the doors of the church. If the people around me only knew they wouldn't want to sit on my row, they wouldn't let me in the church. And God goes, I know all that. And I love you. You're in process. I'm shaping you. I'm changing you. The fact that those things are bothering you are evidence that I've got my hands on you. I'm shaping you into what I want you to be. And I'm not discouraged. In fact, I love you more the longer I work with you and in you. And he's talking about you. This isn't just one of those, I've got to love the whole world. I've decided to love the whole world, so I'm stuck having to love you too. No. This is the God who is a parent who says, I've had my eye on you all along. And it gives me such great pleasure to watch what's taking place. God isn't disappointed in you. He's not mad at you. He deeply loves you. And he's thrilled to see how this is going to turn out. Hebrews 9.14 reminds us of how what Jesus has done doesn't just satisfy the Father, but it really helps us. He's just mentioned in the previous verse how the, in the Old Testament they used animal sacrifices, the blood of goats and cows and different things, as a symbol of what would have to be done to satisfy the wrath of God. And he goes on to say, Just think then how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The good news in that is that the blood of Jesus doesn't just satisfy the heart and justice of God. But the blood of Jesus has incredible power to alleviate our guilty consciences which are tripping us up so badly. And the way that works is essentially... When we get to the place of realizing it's not about me trying harder. It's not about me getting to a place where I'm like, oh, I'm doing so much better. I read my Bible seven days in a row this week and I haven't cursed all week long. Mm, I feel so much better about myself. That has no lasting power to free us from a guilty conscience. Because I want to tell you, if today you're carrying some man-made, human-inflicted guilt... Because I got a divorce, because I got an abortion, because I had an affair, because I, whatever, fill in the blank on the thing that's your big black cloud. If that's what's hanging over your head, making it through the week, reading your Bible seven times and not cursing for seven days is going to do little to nothing to get rid of that black cloud. Wouldn't you agree? It's just window dressing. 
But I'll tell you what will begin to free you is actually appreciating and understanding that it wasn't by the blood of some bird or some goat or some cow that my sin was paid for. But it was through one perfect sacrifice when it had been presented in the form of the Son of God having received all the suffering that our sins deserve, that he could declare as his final declaration from the cross, to tell us paid in full, it is finished, done, case closed. The blood of Jesus is enough to not only satisfy the wrath of God and the justice of God, but the writer of Hebrews says it's enough to cleanse our guilty consciences to know that when God looks at us, he goes, Mike, I remember what you did. Your day's coming, buddy. No. He looks at us and says, there's nothing to remember except how much I love you. Because everything that was ever credited to your account for the negative has been passed on to Jesus. And he's paid the price in full. He served the sentence. So when I look at you, I just see a clean record. I see the righteousness of Jesus. You don't just have a clear conscience. You've got a spotless record. You've got the record of Jesus as your record. You've all heard the illustration probably of the study that was done where ordinary school children were divided into two different groups. And some were sent to teachers who were told all of these kids tested in the same range. Or just These are just average school kids. Half of them went into classrooms where the teachers were told... These are the best and brightest. These are the highest percentiles of all the standardized testing. We're giving you the brightest kids in the area. And the other half of the kids went to teachers who were told, we're giving you the lowest scoring students, the lowest percentiles. These are the kids that that just are scraping to get by. That's all the teachers knew. Now, the truth of the matter is there was no difference between the kids And after an extended period of time of teachers who were equally qualified teaching these students, you know what the outcome of the study is. The the kids who were being taught by teachers who believed the best about them, when they were given standardized tests way later on, those kids performed so much better than average. And these average kids being taught by teachers who were told that they were the dumb kids, they performed so much below average. Because in so many ways, we live up or down to the expectation of the people around us. Cooley, the sociologist, said that the way we see ourselves is the way that we perceive that the most important person or people in our lives see us. That may sound abstract, but it's very simple. This means if John is the most important person in my life, then the way I see me is the way that I perceive that John sees me, if he's the most important person to me. And if I think John thinks well of me and that he really respects me and and holds me in high regard, then I can feel good about myself. But if John's the most important person in my life and I think John knows what a dirty, low-down scoundrel I am and John's always disappointed in me, then I carry all of that. I'm disappointed in me. I feel bad about myself. We live up or down to, to what the most important people in our lives think about us. And here's the incredible power in that truth. If Jesus is the most important person in your life and you get a handle on what Jesus thinks of you, you will soar. 
you will fly like a rocket. Because Jesus thinks you're incredible. Jesus sees the finished product. Jesus sees what he's doing in you. He's not disappointed. He's thrilled about what he's bringing out in you. And when we begin to tap into that, it clears our conscience. It, it looses us from the chains that have bound us and enables us to live a different kind of life. You want to see the flesh put to death. It's not going to come through self-effort and, oh, i got to try harder. Flesh doesn't beat flesh. Spirit trumps flesh. The Spirit of Christ giving witness to say, this is the Son of God. This is a daughter of God. They're being made into the image of Jesus. Flesh, you can die. We don't have the power to kill our flesh. That's why we kill ourselves going, oh, I hate how I struggle with food. I've got a problem with gluttony. I know what will solve that. Let me try another diet. And in the flesh, we try and conquer a spiritual problem. Yeah, by the way, gluttony is a fleshly sin. How many times do we lose just an earthly, and I'm not saying eating healthy and having a dietary plan is a bad idea, but if that's all we do, we're trying to beat flesh with a fleshly plan. Flesh doesn't beat flesh. But the Spirit always wins over the flesh. That's why we tap into His power. Now, I guess you're going to have to come back next week to get the other four points because I'm not going to preach them today. I had a weird feeling coming in. I wasn't going to get past the first point, so we're just going to draw a line right there and pray. Father, we ask you, in a way that is impossible as a pastor for me to pull this off, I ask you, by the voice and power of your Spirit, to speak your love over us. Holy Spirit, I hear your voice saying, There are people in the room who do not love themselves. They have never forgiven themselves. They are carrying self-hatred, guilt, and shame, and they cannot get past it. Please, God, by the voice of your Spirit, speak your love over us. Give us a glimpse of what you see when you look at us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers and cleanses us. Jesus, how we need you today. We need you to speak love and forgiveness in our lives. If you've never received Jesus as Lord, you've never tapped into what we're talking about. You don't have to study up for this. You don't have to to ramp up to this. You just need like a little child to say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness, I need your love, and I need your power to make me a different kind of person. Would you just tell him that from your heart, whether you're watching and listening online or you're in the room? Would you just say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please change me and make me new. Please live in me. Jesus, I pray that you'd be Lord over all of us. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers in simple faith. Grant gifts of change in our lives by your power, we pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, We would love the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. 
You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.